Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. David Stockdale, goalkeeper, and I've been at Fulham, Brighton, Birmingham, and now at Wickham. Thank you for joining us on the second tier today. We'll start off at the very start because you began your career at York City. So how did you get into football? Um, my dad was, a, I say, a footballer. He was a, he was a Sunday league player. Had a few trials at Blackburn. I, I remember him telling us. He was the old sweeper, as I say. Um, like I say, as you can tell, we, our family weren't blessed with pace. Let's just say that. Um as my son's finding out now, he's now a defender. Um, we're not, we're not, we're not the quickest, let's say, but we're, we're, we're clever. And that's all that matters. As long as you've got the intelligence on the pitch, that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, you played a few times for York. Also had a few loan spells before leaving and then going to Darlington, yeah. who were League Two at the time. And that's where you really became an established professional goalkeeper, wasn't it? Because you managed to become the first choice, and at the age of twenty-two that inevitably led to there being interest from some big clubs. Now, Fulham is where you ended up going, but did you get offers from other clubs as well? I didn't really get a choice, to be honest. No, <laughs> uh, no at that age, it was basically the club said that I accepted one from Fulham, which I didn't even know that they'd made an offer. Um, at that time, I wasn't really... I, I, I still don't read news or anything like that, so it wasn't a, a thing, it was just carry on with your work and shut up, you know. Um, and then when they told me, it was like, right, what do I do next? So I had to, they had to organise the flights for us to go down. So I've come from Dallas and I'm getting a flight and I'm getting picked up at the, the airport and taken to the training ground, getting shown around. It was like, what is going on here? <laughs> it's a bit different to playing non-league with York and then League Two of Darlington, was it? Totally different. But in a, in a good way, and and that is what you you aspire for in all those non-league days, and it it was a it was a crazy couple of months, let's just say. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, you were very much there at Fulham during their golden period, weren't you? You joined the season, they got to the Europa League final, then they had consecutive finishes in the top half of the Premier League. You had a few loan spells around that time, but there were also a few chances for you in the first team. However, Mark Schwarzer was there at the time and was still the number one choice. Did you feel like, at the time, you were doing enough to warrant more of a go in the first team? Um, yes and no. Like, I had to keep up to a certain standard. I, was, I had one of the top five goalkeepers in the Premier League um, that I had to go against. And there weren't a time where you could say, like, sometimes now they say, oh... Keepers having a bit, maybe should change it. But there was never a time for Mark. Um, 
to have that. He had chances to go elsewhere. He never did. So I, I had to take my chance when I could. And what, what it was about for me was keeping that standard of goalkeeping up. So when or if they did change it or Mark got injured, then I had to come in and keep a certain standard. Otherwise, yeah. then you, you kind of get left behind. So me trying to keep up to his standard was, was what, what made it for me and what, what kept me in a in a professional football environment, I think. Yeah, and you definitely kept up the standard, didn't you? Because you really impressed during that time. And despite only having a handful of Premier League appearances, yeah. Fabio Capello called you up to the England squad when you were standing in for Schwartz. Were you surprised to get a call up? Yeah, I think I might have been the 34th name on his list and the rest <laughs> of them retired that year, I think. That was when everybody retired. Um, I think because I was younger um, and doing well in, in in a team that, that we we weren't top top five, top six, you know, um, he maybe wanted to try it out. And at the time, there was a couple of injuries as well. Um, so I think it was Ray Clemens, I think, that, that had a big, big say in that. Um, I remember speaking to him after one game. It was uh, Liverpool at Anfield. We lost last minute, and he said that's when I knew that you could you could kind of hack it on a on a big level, big stage. So I think that might have been the the bit of um, push that Capello needed with with Mr. Clemens saying that I think he might have a chance. Mm. What did you make of Mr. Capello? Because he seems to get mixed reviews from people who have worked with him. I, re- I I didn't speak to him that much because I was very I was still starstruck I've got to say at the time, um, and I still do it now. Like with with, with my my people who I grew up watching, Alan Shearer's and Ian Wrights, you know I still do it now. Um, but no, he was he was polite. He, he he took the sessions. You know when you was involved, you listened. He had the respect. So uh, I I don't know the ins and outs of how it how it finished with him, but. I've got I've got no no problems with him and it, it it didn't feel like I was in any way nobody had said to me oh I don't like it here so it it may be a bit out of my jurisdiction to say because I weren't that that involved I was just the third choice keeper sometimes the second yeah of course am I right in saying you were going to be called up again a few months later but you pulled out because you were getting married yeah I had this question the other day actually. Um, we actually tried everything. We were trying to get helicopters to take me from the training to the wedding. And it was um, Ray Clements and, and Fabio that said, no, there's there's no chance you can do that on your wedding day. Um, he was very understanding. I, I was very much like, oh, I don't want it to affect me coming into to any more future squads. And they said, no, no that's not a chance. This ain't a, an excuse to get out of any England uh, camp or anything. This is This is what... Could be for you might regret it if you don't. So they rang me on the on the morning of actually and wished me good luck and um, so that was nice and I did get in again after. <laughs> and more importantly, you kept favour with Mrs. Stockdale, didn't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> despite the England call up, you were sent out on loan again by Martin Yole, This time to Ipswich. Did you approve of that? Were you happy to go out on loan? Because it's a bit weird for someone to get an England call up and then be sent out on loan to the Championship again. Yeah, we we had a discussion. Uh, me and me and Martin, you all speak now, now and again. Okay. Um, just just off chance to see how we are because he's 
he's actually a good man, you know. Um, and I said, look, if I if I've got any chances, I need to be playing. Um, at the time, Ipswich was going to try and get a few signs in to try and go up the top end of the championship at the time. So I said, look, I'm I'm happy to come and do what I can, and I, I just want to play games and 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 be on the brink of it just in case. And look, I I stayed in the England squad until Mr. Capello left. Um, so I obviously he obviously seen something, or him and Ray spoke a lot about it. So look, it was. It was a decision that we both made together. It wasn't like you, you're getting shipped out. Mm. They felt that it'd be good for them if I was playing as well and anything happened uh, back at Fulham, then I, I could come straight back in match fit. Fair play. Well, the season afterwards, you were loaned out again, this time to Hull. Uh, but that yep. was quite a successful one, wasn't it? Because you won promotion yeah. in 2013, but you only found out after the last game that you played that you were going up. So what was that like? Yeah, that was crazy. There's some some footage of like the Leeds Watford game went on a bit longer because of injuries and some crazy things happening. Um, so we was actually watching it, and it, we had a 90 second penalty for Cardiff that made it that thing because we were two one up, and if we just stayed like we was up anyway, so it, it kind of makes the story even better because you're waiting on it and you see the result come in, and then you start celebrating and. Um, no, I've been lucky enough to be involved in teams with promotions and they're all individual and unique. So it, it's, it's great times. I still got friends back there. It's, it's nice when I see Steve Bruce and Steve Agnew and people like that that was at Hull at that time. And it's, it's nice to be a part of those clubs' histories. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you came out to Fulham and you finally got more of a chance in goal for them. But this coincided with the season that they got relegated. Yeah. Where did things go wrong in that season? <laughs> um, it was tough because I, I was second choice. And at that point, I was was unsure if I wanted to go and try and get some games. And it just so happened, it, everything just turned around. Like, um, Felix McGath came in and he just said, look, I'm going to change it. I, I played. We, we did pick up a little bit, but it was just a, just a little bit too late and... We, we didn't manage to pick up as many points as we thought we should have with, with the team that we had. Hmm. I can't imagine having three managers in one season particularly helped much either, did it? No, definitely not. That's um, But these things happen in football and sometimes you get away with it and sometimes it takes a bit longer to, to settle in and unfortunately just whether the right choice or the, the right... Um, you know, when you get the new manager syndrome and it picks yeah. up, sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. It depends what, what the atmosphere is like. Yeah, of course. Um, you mentioned Felix McGann. He was one of the three managers you had that season. The only thing I really remember from him is, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is apparently him telling Breda Hangerland to treat an injury with cheese. Um were you ever recommended cheese? Uh, fortunately, I didn't get injured. Um, <laughs> and I like cheese. So I might be going <laughs> into the medical room to get a bit. But yes, I, it is a story that floats about and it is true. <laughs> is it? What, what, do you know what the logic was behind that? You don't ask. Don't ask. Just let him get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my knee. It's not my cheese. <laughs> 
Uh, well, you left Fulham to go to Brighton. Um, why did you choose the Seagulls? Um, Anthony Amy went there as goalkeeper coach. And obviously, I'd spent a bit of time with Anthony at Fulham. Um, so I'd, I'd struck up a bit of a relationship. And at the time, we'd, we'd just got relegated. And they wasn't sure where I was going to fit in at Fulham and whether they was going to get someone else or, or something. So for me, when the opportunity came to, to be playing again, I said I'd like the opportunity to speak to him. And then all of a sudden they said, right, you can go speak to Brighton. Um, just before a pre-season tour, it was simple, like, don't come in, speak mm-hmm. to Brighton. And I, apart from going to pick some stuff up, I never really spoke to anyone in the hierarchy at Fulham again. Fair enough. Well, things got off to a rocky start in the championship, didn't they? Because Sammy Hippier was in charge, something I completely forgot about. But the club only won three games in the first half of the season. What did you make of him as a manager? I, I really liked him. He was trying to play the sort of football that he's, he's uh, revelled in now. And we were playing that time football. And that season, we actually played some great stuff, but we never got the results with it. One of the, the best performances in that season was at Leeds away and we beat him 2-1. And even Leeds said, oh my, you played us off the park at that at that, that point. Yeah. And we was like, oh, things are going to change, you know, things are going to come. We just couldn't get the results. We'd be leaving grounds going, how have we got beat there? And, and Brighton fans will tell you, like, although it didn't turn out the best, it was just we couldn't get the result. So it... I can never say how we was terrible because we played some great stuff that season and maybe a bit of time would have changed it, but that's what the the uh, the hierarchy set up to do to make decisions. And it turned out to be a good one, but you just never know sometimes. I th- but I think Sammy, if he'd have got somewhere else and, and carried on doing what he did, I think things might have been different. Hmm. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was looking at his um, what he's doing now and it's not very much. But I, at the time, he came from Bayer Leverkusen, didn't he? With this massive reputation yeah. as being quite a promising young manager. And then it just didn't work out at, at Brighton. Yeah. Do you think maybe it was just a case of possibly the players weren't good enough? You can, you can say that. But it, sometimes in English football, when you've been certain way and then you get a certain manager and trying to do the things that they want to do it can be difficult and I know people are just sit there going but you're a footballer just do but there's so much different things and, and details on, on a pitch and again a little bit of luck it could have been different um, but no I'm not going to say it was because we weren't good enough because we obviously showed it in the next couple of seasons yeah well, that led to Chris Hughton coming in. And as you say, you just it, it's miraculous, really, how much you turned around because he guided the club towards safety, finishing 20th in that season with yeah. Hippia. But then the two seasons afterwards, Brighton finished third and second, which is yeah. quite a transformation. Chris Hughton, as a manager, what is he like? Great man. Like, as a mm. person, he's unbelievably understanding very meticulous in what he does. First time you meet him, he says, right, what's your wife's name? What's your mum dad's name? What's your kids' names? And you're like, what? And he <laughs> remembers it. He writes it down and he's, he's very personal about it. 
He wants to know how each player thinks. So then if he actually has to approach a situation, he he has the, all the tools and things that he knows how you work. And, and that's why everybody seems to have a great thing to say about him because he's understanding. He, he takes time on you as a person. And when you've got to do it for a squad of maybe 25, 30 guys, it's, it's quite remarkable, actually. Mm. Best manager you've had? Yeah, yeah, he, he is up there, but in in different terms, like how approachable and he's worn off. I, I hate saying because I've I've had some great managers, but he's definitely top one. Top one. There you go. <laughs> well, that period um, coincided with what I thought was your best form in your career. I'm guessing it's the same for you. If so, why was everything going so well at the time? Um, Ben Roberts, the goalkeeper coach. Um, he's a goalkeeper coach that's getting a lot of credit for what he's been doing. But he's been doing it for years, and again, he was the same. He he looked at individual people, and and the goalkeepers he's brought through under his stewardship just tells you why he's held in such great regard. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that of course includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to classicfootballshirts.co.uk right now. Let's talk about the final day of the championship in 2016, Brighton v Middlesbrough. It was essentially a playoff where the winner got promoted. You drew, which meant Borough went up instead. As someone on the pitch who's put in so much effort throughout the whole season, what was it like to lose on the final day like that? It's strange because, like you say, we we didn't have any consolation uh, in playoff. We didn't have that in our mentality. And to have that, I think it just sucked, sucked a bit of life out of us. And I was there on Saturday, Wickham, and uh, I managed to see all the memories that they'd done from that day and it came up, I think it was five five years to the day that it happened as well. So a few memories came up on mine. I was like, oh, got to go back to the Riverside on the last day again. Um, but no, it, it, it makes the story even better. And then in the playoffs, we had three injuries and a sending off. It was, and then at home, we I think we hit the both posts and the bye in the first 20 minutes. And, but when things aren't meant to be. And it made made the story of us wanting to come back and finish what we started the next year was even better. Mm. So going off what you were just saying, of course, you entered to the playoffs and lost to Sheffield Wednesday in the semis. Did missing out on the automatics have an impact? Yeah, it made the fire grew stronger inside us. It was like a the elephant in the room was there all season. You won't want to talk about it. And the elephant's name was promotion. And it was automatic. 
but you just used to look at it and nobody had said anything and but everybody knew in each other's eyes what what it was yeah well as you say you got promoted the season afterwards finishing behind a Newcastle side which had ridiculous amounts of talent in it but you only finished a few points behind them and that says a lot about how good that Brighton side was because how talented was it I think we got one point after we got promoted or something like that but I look back at we played Leeds and then we the gaffer took us away for like a uh, international break. We went to Valencia. Hmm. We trained hard. We trained well. Played golf. We we had a laugh with each other. And for me, that was the turning point. How he was, he said, "Look, look, we have to regain our form." I think we we won five out of six coming back. Um, so that was the point where how we knew determination-wise and look at some of the players, what they've gone on to do and where they're playing now. It just shows you how how well we were put together and, and, and the talent we had in that squad. Yeah. Well, despite getting promoted the season afterwards, you were very much still the number one at Brighton, but you rejected the offer of a new contract to stay in the championship with Birmingham, which on the face of it, sounds like a bit of a weird decision. So why did you choose Birmingham in the Championship over Brighton in the Premier League? Yeah, it hadn't really been discussed this because um, everyone just thought, well, how weird. Um, but I sat down with the, the chairman and Paul Barber at Brighton and, and the gaffer and just said, look, my daughter's doing a GCSEs. I don't want to be moving clubs and possibly the other end of the country while that's going on. Uh, because at the end of the day, that's for her life, you know. Um, and at that point, Birmingham offered three years and mm. Brighton offered one. We kind of knew Matt Ryan was coming in, but I was going to get the chance to play. So we, we, we spoke it and they said, look, we, we can't match the years. Um, so if, if they had, which they couldn't and it, there was no option, I, I would have stayed. Um, but I chose to go for the, the longevity and, and and on the family side, it's worked out because my daughter's going to go to union this year. And um, so on that decision, I've got no regrets. Congratulations to your daughter. Thank you. Um, well, let's talk about what happened at Birmingham next. You went from the first choice in your first season to then just not playing another league game for them for two years. And from the outside, it looked like you were kind of exiled, really. So what happened there? I got called in on the just before pre-season. No, it was just after I came back from holidays. So just before we were meeting up and Gary Monk said, look, you're not in my plans. That was the only reasoning I got. Um, and in football, you have to accept people's decisions. And at the time, he was trying to bring the under-23s and the first team closer. So basically said, you'll be with the under-18s and you're free to leave. That was it. But it seems a bit of a weird decision because you were still there for, you know, two years afterwards, weren't you? You still had, yeah. you know, another two years on your contract and you're an experienced, you know, ex-England, not not say ex-England international, but you were involved in the squad. Yeah. So were you a bit surprised by that? Yeah, but you can't search or change someone's mind if they've made it up. That's the question to him is why. Um, mm. But... I got told that I weren't involved. Um, 
which is a decision you have to accept. Um, but at the time, then people had already kind of assembled their squads, and I had to just do what I could and, and help the under 18s while I was in there. And it wasn't just me, there's quite a few of us. So we had to be as professional as possible and, and do our job. And if we ever got called upon, then we were ready. And it just turned out that I had to do some loans rather than get a move. Yeah. Have you got a decent relationship with Gary Monk? Um, how do you mean decent? Have you spoken to him much since? Never. Never. I Despite really... being at the club? Uh, when I was at the club? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we had niceties and obviously I'd say good luck to the lads um, mm. every week. Um, but no, I was, we was in different changing rooms um, with the under-18s. Uh, kept away from the first team in the 23, so we didn't really see him that much anyway, so... Fair enough. Final question on this. Um, but when this is happening as a player, because we've spoken to loads of players in the past who have had similar things happen to them where they're just not involved in the first team now. Does it take a, a toll on the mental health kind of side? Um, yeah. For a good month, two months, I thought, you know what, I'm going to get back in there. I'm going to prove and people are going to say he's doing well in training but that never came and as soon as the realisation comes then you get better but it was when my wife was saying as soon as you come home you have to forget football and it's not easy you're a footballer that's your life mm. because you was you was just moping around and not being able especially when people outside the game don't know what's going on so you're getting the blame for things I'm not one to start saying this and that. So when it comes to it and you're getting the blame for things on social media and stuff, I, I they're entitled to their opinion. But when you can't really explain your situation, that's when it takes time. And I think just recently they've started to realise that maybe it wasn't me. Um, so I think a lot of Birmingham fans now realise that it, it wasn't because of me and for me, again, like the first year didn't go as planned for any players, but other players have had the chance to try and put that right. Whereas that was my my only regret. I hadn't, I hadn't been able to put my best on the pitch for Birmingham. And then now I've been able to kind of prove it with, with Wickham that I, I, I could have done something at Birmingham given any opportunities. Well, I appreciate the honesty, David. Uh, let's move on to Wickham because you've been second choice for much of this season, but played loads in the final few months of the season yeah. after Ryan Allsop got injured. And if you don't mind me saying, you've done really, really well. Thanks. Were you expecting to play as much as you have done this past season? No, I, I signed on the start of the season. Um, they wanted the, the championship experience in the squad um, and they'd looked after me, Wickham. So I was, I was happy to sign uh, Ryan Alsop was probably our player of the season up to when he got injured. That is the, the crazy thing. So I, I knew again, like the Mike Swartz thing, I had to keep up a certain standard, mm. but also put my own my own spin on it. Um, and I'm very much from past dealings with other things. I, 
I will play the game with a smile on my face. And it was weird because everyone could... I always talk on a pitch and I, it's like Tourette's. I just, things come out, I'll say it as it is. <laughs> and because there's no fans, the amount of laughter that comes from the, the bench and from the sub, they're like, I can't believe what the things that come out of your mouth. Like, I just, I just have fun. And like, there'll be times where I've got a smile on my face and you're just, you're just laughing and not... Some people would be like, is he taking this seriously? But that was me getting out my personality on a pitch and, and hopefully it's shone through and hopefully I've helped others and just to know that you can just go out and enjoy the game like like you did as a kid and sometimes it brings out the best. Yeah, give us a word on Gareth Ainsworth because he comes across as a bit of a different manager to what we're used to. But despite relegation this season, he's done a fantastic job, hasn't he? I think so. And over the past, I know we talk about money in football, but the budgets that he's been, uh, had available, not given, had available, is is not comparable to championship wages at all. Um, I'd, it'd be fair to say that we was mid-League One budgets. Um, so if you put it in that respect and, we was playing catch up for a lot of the season because we started off like a um, a broken down train. Um, so we played catch up most of the season, and then when people started to realise, yes, we it started to click a little bit. I think from maybe February time, we we picked up a hell of a lot of points. Yeah, and you recently signed a new deal at Wickham, so congratulations yeah. on um, that. You seem to be really enjoying being at Wickham Wanderers. Yeah, the it just suits me the the club. Like I was saying before, like I think I did an interview and they said some at Wickham. And I said, oh, "You be who you want to be at Wickham." Mm. And an analogy I used was like if a player came in and he was a stamp collector, we would have good fun asking him about the stamps and that. But I can tell you now, if someone went on holiday and found a stamp, they'd bring it back for that person. That's the type of people we are. Like it's you are accepted for who you are. Like the, the gaffer is is the lead singer, as he likes to put it, of our band. You know, that is who he is. You know, he's not afraid to to be different. If you're different, let it out. Like that is what it's all about, and it just shows with with our chairman and our CEO that um, it's okay to be different. That Americans coming in, they. Louisiana, and uh, they, they brought a kit out that's called the Mardi Gras. How different can we be? Look like a flying fruit pastel. You know what I mean? <laughs> you got to embrace, embrace the fun and how they like to do things. And it, it's good for football. And a lot of people were kind of rooting for Wickham. Well, hopefully, um, as kind of like the underdog, because look, we, we look forward to going to those stadiums and Manchester's look. You're going to Derby's, you're going to Middlesbrough's. And like five years ago, they was trying to stay up at Torquay in the Football League. So it's a wonderful achievement. And do you know what it is? Everyone's just so proud of being able to showcase in the Championship. And we're very humbled by it. But we got relegated. That You can't get away from that. Our accountability is there. Um, but as Wickham always do, we will fight again. And... Um, We've set a new bar for ourselves. We've set 
even though it's not nice, we, we got relegated, but we finished the highest place Wickham's ever done. So now it's another record to be broken and we have to do that hopefully the year after next. Hmm. Are you fancying yourselves to bounce back from relegation next season then? Look, it's it's all about how we do it. Um, we can only do what we can do. Um, we have the players to do it, but again, it's, this is football. You know, there's not many things that you get right in football. That's why um, the bookies always win. Um, but yeah, the, there's so many unexpected things. Things have to go right for you, but we, we have the, the talent and the, the team and the manager to and the owner um, to to help us do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, finally, David, you're 35 now. Have you given any thought as to what you're going to do once your playing days are over? Yeah, I've got um, a couple of businesses, property businesses, um, that I started up, family business. So I will hopefully go into development and things like that. And maybe um, I might join Akin Fenwar on his Instagram. <laughs> I love that. In fact, final point on that. What is Akin Fenwar like? Because he comes across as a right character. Well, it's Wickham, isn't it? Costas about <laughs> yeah, like um, me and me and B are, are, are very close, so hopefully we can do some stuff. And we're thinking about doing some stuff together because we've got a, a relationship like like none other. And we feel like we with our relationship, when people see us, they, they, it's hard for them to see us together, as mm. in they just don't understand it. So for us to break down some some barriers, maybe and to prove that like everything's good, you know, like we're we're good friends and unexpected friendships come out of unexpected times and that's what me and him do. And when we get together people can't um deal with us because we're it's a half shout debate argument. Um <laughs> but it's really funny to watch because we we just we know that we can be honest with each other yeah. um, and because I can lift more weights than him he gets a bit jealous <laughs> so, um, <laughs> see I d he has to do it every day to keep up I'm one of them that just comes in lifts a few weights and just walks just, out you know so. just smashes the bench press yeah look like, I just have to lift him up a couple of times and he, he kind of leaves me alone you know so I've got the, the inner strength you know where he's, he's got the body for it um, but he's such a genuine guy um, mm. the respect he has in football for what he's done what he does for others and how he presents himself he, he really represents football and, and a good natured person really well yeah absolutely well when we well when I do these uh, meets these second tier meets I like to finish off with a little quick fire game so if you don't mind yeah. we'll go to the first one Best player you've played with? I'm going to say Damien Duff. Why Why Duffy? The, both feet he could play with. Um, he just, he could take most people on. I could actually put Jonathan Green in with that because he was very good both way. But just the way he played, he was very like um, assertive and he could even... He was coming towards the end when he was at, at Fulham, but he, he could take anyone on and he didn't know what he was going to do and he had a great strike. And I just remember him for how he played. He was very like, 
aggressive, but not like angry aggressive, just the way he approached the game and um, his love for the game when he got on the pitch. Hmm. Best player you've played against? Oh, I think Adel Tarapt was up there when he played for QPR. Mm. Uh, that was a good one. Um, I think for movement, I think it was Suarez. Suarez when he was at Liverpool. Um, we, we we couldn't handle him at some, time, at some points. Yeah, well, not many Premier League defences could really, could they? Uh, yeah. Best manager you've had? I think you've already answered this. Yeah, I'd have to go with Chris Hewton. Yeah, we've already gone over why that's the case, haven't we? And yeah. the last one, it's a controversial one. Worst manager you've had? I can't answer that. <laughs> can't make me answer it. Can't make me answer it. All right, I'll say I'll say Nathan Jones for his two 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 times at um, at Brighton. Just not because... because he was bad, he was good. He, I think he, he won both maybe, but um, just because I know Jones in, he was he tried hard because he that's him, and I'm so glad he's gone on to do other stuff because that was an easy choice because I can ring him up and tell him I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that, David Stockdale. Thank you for your time today. No problem. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. We'll be back again soon. are just around the corner and if you're excited about the festival of football that's to come make sure you're listening to on the continent across this summer's european championships join me andy brassel dot nadabio and a host of other expert european football journalists for everything you need to know about one of the most eagerly anticipated summer tournaments in ages. We'll have shows dedicated to answering your burning questions, a breakdown of the potential winners from all over the continent, and we'll be reacting to the biggest matches as soon as they happen. It's a European football summer, and we've got everything you need. Search On The Continent in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Frank de Boer speelt de bal. Heel goed naar Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp neemt de bal aan. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp. Dennis Bergkamp.